Hey ya girlies, it's me, Devlin Camp. This is a special queer serial announcement coming to you from the future, 2023. You're listening to an episode from the past, during which you might hear me plug some bonus content, especially in the credits. But as of 2023, here's everything you need to know if you want more queer serial, or if you want to support my many ongoing LGBTQ history projects. I got a lot going on. You can sign up for periodic email updates at the link for everything in the episode notes. First off, you can now listen to my entire backlog of Queer Serial bonus episodes on Apple Podcasts, just like you listen to the regular episodes. Just head to the Queer Serial show page on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to additional bonus episodes for $2.99 a month. Those episodes are everything from my Patreon, minus the visual stuff, but all of the bonus episodes. It includes all of the spin-off episodes, Forgotten Fairy Tales, the White Knight Riots interviews, all of my Mattachine meeting interviews, Randy Wicker Radio, etc., 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 every episode of everything I've ever made. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for $2.99 a month, or still for $3 a month on Patreon if you want the bonus episodes and all of my visual research and my archive dives included, and behind the scenes of my Randy Wicker documentary. Also, If you're a Spotify kind of girl like me, you can also get all of my bonus episodes through Spotify now too. Just go to the podcast section and search Queer Serial Bonus Shows and there's a whole feed of Queer Serial Bonus Shows. And if you wanna get some gay merch while also supporting my queer history projects, check out the new Queer Serial Etsy shop. Etsy.com slash shop slash queer history uplift. There's a link in the episode notes here. I've got podcast merch from throughout the series and also lots of queer history related items like postcards from Mona's 1930s lesbian bar and Marsha P. Johnson stickers with her own handwriting that says gay love always straight from the Wicker and Johnson archive that I've been working on. And I've got gorgeous mugs that say queer history is world history. Other stickers that say drag is not a crime with a real photo of drag queens being arrested. And I've got these warning stickers that you can put in textbooks that are lacking queer history to warn future readers. Lots of other buttons and other stuff on Etsy too. There are links to everything in the episode notes here and at QueerSerial.com or just search for me on Instagram, Etsy, Patreon, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. I think that's everything. While you're on QueerSerial.com, by the way, check out the new episode guide. You can explore the entire podcast series episode by episode with all the research and transcripts and bonus episodes and lots of photos and videos from the true history that I cover, all at QueerSerial.com. Finally, last thing, you don't have to, but if you'd like to, go ahead and catch up on all four seasons of Queer Serial and the bonus episodes before season five comes out this October, Queer History Month. The new season is a standalone story in our history and a spin-off of an event that I briefly touched on in Season 3, Episode 7, if you want a hint. Stay tuned. Thanks so much for all of your support. I literally couldn't do it without you. Enjoy the show. A new letter is sent from the Foundation to all members. A call to all members of the Mattachine Society, confidential. During the past three years, the Mattachine Society has existed as a secret organization. 
It is our belief that this structure, with all of its weaknesses, served a tremendous historical and social purpose with the interest of the sexual deviant minority. We have today a sufficient indication of the direction in which our minority must move. We believe that the presently constituted society has served its functions well, but must now make the internal changes and preparations necessary for a forward movement into areas of greater activity and influence. Mattachine is a podcast dedicated to exploring the overlooked, forgotten, or often untold stories in gay history. I'm Devlin Camp. Check out our website, mattachinepod.com, for the five serialized episodes leading up to this convention and a visual guide of this week's episode. A quick recap. Last week on Mattachine, we heard the FBI begin a rigorous hunt for communist homosexuals in the Mattachine Foundation, if only to prove to the country that communists and homosexuals can be conflated into one group. The Bureau needs a scapegoat, as Washington wants to show the nation that officials are fighting red infiltration in the government. The mass firings of homosexuals give the general community something to see as progress. But most of the growing membership of the Mattachine are not communists. They're just following an organization run by former communists and sympathizers, anonymous leaders called the Foundation. The mysterious structure of their secret homosexual society has been inspired by the Communist Party, but now the membership seeks change. They fear conspiracy charges coming down on them as the FBI closes in. The disagreements on how to proceed with secrecy tear the Foundation leaders apart because remaining anonymous to protect gay people from losing their jobs and families also means not assimilating to quote-unquote normal society, and it seems like an excuse to keep their community in the closet. On one side, Harry and Chuck still believe in declaring the homosexual community a legal minority with rights and its own culture. This culture, by their assessment, is created by gay people seeing the world differently than straight people. By the way we think, our beliefs, our traditions, our ideology, and relationships work differently because our relationships aren't based on the need to reproduce. And oftentimes, once we question what sex is about without reproduction, and how gender roles control us, we really do see the world differently. That's not just me, right? But on the other side, Dale and Bob believe in assimilating to major society, essentially saying that gay people are exactly like anyone else aside from who we take to bed. And even though Chuck is on Harry's side in this fight, the cultural side, he's willing to take the organization public to avoid a battle with the FBI and the potential crumbling of what they've built. Harry, the creator of the entire organization, stands firm on his position to keep the organization's structure secretive in order to protect members and leaders from the government's infiltration. Understanding both sides of the fight to be valid, Chuck Rowland insists on calling a convention in Los Angeles to decide which direction to take the secret society, a decision that must be determined by all members of the organization. This week, join me in attending the first constitutional convention of the Mattachine. This week on Mattachine. In the Mattachine, we are seeking acceptance of the homosexual in society. What they did know about was that there was some kind of a foundation which had a board of directors who was uh, magnanimously sponsoring these, these public discussion groups. Mattachine members believe the FBI will eventually investigate them. I, I didn't have no way of knowing what the FBI knew and didn't know. Who are the people who make policy for the Mattachine Foundation Incorporated? And I'm not about to buy the thing that gays think the same as heteros because they don't. The beginnings of real, real dichotomies, real splits 
uh, in political outlook. There in May of 1953, we had 500 delegates in that church. Each delegate presumably represented 10 people. This is the first time that many gay people ever got together. And I in the United States. Everybody said that gays would not fight back. Any reorganization of the society can and must take place only with the fullest democratic participation of all members of the society. To that end, we are calling the California State Constitutional Convention of the Mattachine Society at the First Universalist Church, corner of 8th and Crenshaw, Los Angeles. April 11, 1953. Some reports will note that 110 to 160 people show up at First Universalist Church. Others will say differently. Harry Hay will recall 500. He'll say, now, mind you, this was 1953 and 500 gay people show up in one place as representatives of gay organizations, each delegate presumably representing up to 10 people. Can you imagine what that was like? This was the first time it's ever happened in the history of the United States. There we were, and you looked up, and all of a sudden the room became vast. Well, you know, was there anybody in Los Angeles who wasn't gay? We'd never seen so many people. And in each other's presence, you can't shut them up. This isn't the period when you hugged much yet, but nevertheless, there was an awful lot of hugging going on during those two days. At 2 p.m., Jim Kepner walks down the sidewalk with Ken Burns, along with members of the Laguna Beach group. We heard Jim's voice a few weeks ago on a recording mentioning Betty Davis, remember? Jim had been brought into the Mattachine the previous year through a lesbian friend who had left her husband for a wife. He attended Bob Hull's discussion group. That discussion had bothered Jim because he remembered someone in particular saying, what do we do about these swishes that give us all a bad name? He understands this organization around him is often conservative and interested in conforming to social norms, assimilating to what they consider respectable society. Jim Kepner attends this convention as a sort of spectator, alongside Ken Burns. Again, not the filmmaker. Burns is a handsome safety engineer in his late 20s from that same discussion group. Jim notices Foundation member Dale Jennings arrive. Most people don't know Dale is on the secretive foundation, but everyone notices him. They can't miss him. Arriving at the convention with a uniformed Marine, Jim will say, Everyone else assumed he just picked up and brought into the Holy of Holies. Dale stands against his co-founder, Harry Hay, and the secrecy of the Mattachine Foundation, on which he sits. Friend of the Foundation, Jerry Brissett, who we met last week at that party with Allen Ginsberg, arrives at the convention to represent the Bay Area up north. Hal Call and David Finn, also from the Bay Area, show up right behind him. Hal is confident on where he stands on the issues, pro-assimilation and against the Foundation's secrecy. Hal is ready to go public, to assimilate, he wants to see discrimination and ignorance about homosexuality eliminated, and then he wants the Mattachine to disband. He spent two years fighting against Japan for this country, so he's perfectly fine with assimilating to the major society for which he fought. And he certainly doesn't want to follow the communist leadership, the leaders on the foundation that he's been investigating on his own time. Hal is experienced in operations and intelligence and war, and will later recall, When I met Harry Hay at the organizing convention, I thought he was an erudite man, way out there in the land of poetry. I didn't think he had any practical sense about what to do with the movement. David Finn, Hal's friend, agrees and is prepared to work alongside Hal to commandeer the organization. Everyone has their credentials examined three times before being allowed inside. There is fear of infiltration by police or FBI. Jim Kepner enters the convention full of chattering people. 
He's overjoyed. Most of them assume this large gathering of homosexuals is a first-time event. And it is, in the U.S. Kepner looks around the room and will later remember, perhaps embarrassed, Part of our excitement flowed from our pride that most of us didn't look gay. Most of us still expected a crowd of gays to look effeminate and somehow disreputable. They're joined by Reverend Wallace de Ortega Maxi, whose church is hosting the event. 2.45. The gavel hits the stand, calling to order the California State Constitutional Convention of the Mattachine Society. Chuck Rowland welcomes everyone and begins with a keynote. Because of you and our work together, because of this convention and all is signified, I say with pride, I am a homosexual. The room remains quiet. Kepner feels the optimism and unity begin to evaporate. Of what does this pride consist? It is made up of the idea that we are a finer clay, that we are more intelligent or have produced more geniuses or actors or writers or poets or musicians than any other groups. No, it is none of these things. It is, rather, an expression of our new competence that we are a minority, with a culture we can create, work, and produce in the interest of society. I know that there are some here who believe we should stop talking about our separate culture and strive instead only for integration. But I did not create this separate culture, nor did any of you. Actually, it's society which created our culture by excluding us. As a result of this exclusion, we have developed differently than have other cultural groups. This is a fact. This is given. We cannot change this any more than we can transform ourselves into heterosexuals or mountains or trees. Let us accept it, then, and move forward to the outermost boundaries of culture. We face the challenge of developing a new pride, a pride in belonging, a pride in participating in the cultural growth and social achievements of the homosexual minority. Once we accept this challenge, the prospect is not all that bleak. For with this pride will come a new confidence that we can make our own significant cultural contribution to the world in the interests of humanity. We must disenthrall ourselves of the idea that we differ only in our sexual directions and that all we want or need in life is to be free to seek the expression of our sexual desires as we see fit. Whether we like it or not, the fact is that we are a minority with a minority culture, with minority drives and interests, and we have no alternative but to use these minority characteristics in the interest of humanity. We may not have planned or intended it. We may not even particularly want it, but we have no alternative. The hand of history beckons us and we can but fulfill our destiny. It would be nice, I admit, to imagine we could achieve our goals without smear, without investigations, without accusations, without criticisms, but this is not the way of history and it is not our way. Anyone who thinks we can do what we are doing, can organize the homosexual minority without a fight, had better forget the whole project. Most of all, please remember that this is a free, open, democratic convention where all ideas are to be aired, analyzed, accepted or rejected according to the will of the majority. It may be that we will not make any decisions of profound import at this convention, but if we do nothing else, we will have made a beginning and that in itself is historical. A few people stand and cheer. Jim Kepner looks around at all the people sitting, some of them in stunned silence, some politely clapping. Many disagree with Chuck completely and don't stand in pride.
Chuck calls for an election for chair of the first session. This first motion is immediately challenged, and a man dramatically crosses to center stage and announces in great camp, Oh dear, I hope this isn't going to be too perfectly boring. The audience stares back at him, shocked, and the motion is quickly denied. Ken Burns is elected to lead the afternoon session. He motions to unanimously adopt Chuck Rowland's convention rules, which is immediately challenged as well, and the attendees spend about 75 minutes fighting and verbally assaulting each other as they pick apart the 18 rules, which are almost entirely adopted as Chuck had written them anyway. Chuck announces that in a few minutes, the convention will hear a report from the Foundation, the leaders of the Mattachine. He reminds the attendees that the Mattachine does not run the Foundation unless the Foundation is willing. And he also reminds them that the Mattachine can function without the Foundation if they decide so, but disadvantages would follow this schism. On one side of the aisle, there are other culturalists who believe that homosexuals see the world in a unique way. Harry Hay, Chuck, and Jerry, among others. They believe in the foundation structure for Mattachine that keeps members anonymous and safe from a government that allows them to be arrested for looking gay while using a public bathroom. But many of these culturalists are former communists, and that anonymous structure for the Mattachine is too similar to the Communist Party structure for members on the other side of the aisle, the assimilationists. They fear the FBI will take them all down for working with the former communists. Because, as Washington conflates being gay and being communist, they will all look guilty. These assimilationists, Dale, Bob, Boopsy, Hal Call, and David Finn, believe that homosexuals are no different than anyone else, aside from who we take to bed, and so we should assimilate to greater society's social norms. There would be disadvantages for the organization if they all split up. There would be too many conflicting voices, making an argument for equal rights difficult to win. Everyone wants to start a movement. Everyone has an idea for how to begin. But everyone has a different opinion on what they're fighting for. And at times, this fight today will seem almost tedious, monotonous, and silly. But people don't just take to the streets without a united purpose. One day, because of the tedious arguments in groups like this, people will take to the streets, united by purpose. Riots and marches and picket lines, eventually rioting on L.A. freeways after Trump's election, gathering in intersections of identities, screaming out against all types of social injustice at the Women's March. But the Mattachine isn't prepared for intersectionality yet, clearly. They're not ready for picket lines or marches or riots. First and foremost, a movement must know what it fights for. Harry Hay takes the stage and looks out at the convention of the society he anonymously started over two years ago on the hillside with Bob, Chuck, Dale, and Rudy. This crowd of people gathered from an idea he had more than four years ago when no one would listen to him for so long. Now, even though many members don't know he's their founder, he speaks to them directly in a speech that's designed to answer their questions about communist influence and the leadership without taking a side on what he believes personally. But... That vagueness just draws more suspicion to the Foundation. He explains the Foundation's intention to protect members, telling the convention attendees that Mattachine leaders will refuse to testify before government agencies, even at the risk of losing support from potential professional recommendations for homosexuals, because they want to protect the safety of Mattachine members. He says, It would be pleasant if the social and legal recommendations of the Foundations could be found impeccable both to the tastes of the most conservative community as well as the best interests of the homosexual minority. But since there must be a choice, the securities and protections of the homosexual minorities must come first. 
Jerry Brissett's East Bay Area following seems to support Harry Hay, even though they work up against Hal Call and David Finn's neighboring San Francisco group. Brissett is more on Harry Hay's side, but he agrees with Hal about keeping sex conservative. They agree that Harry really just wants a group of like-minded homosexuals to enjoy literature and gay history. But they're all torn on the same issues that Henry Gerber and other past gay activists struggled with. Assimilate to society or fight for our own culture. Ken Burns, Hal Call, and Boopsy Rieger just want to live their lives without being hauled to jail for their sexuality. Boopsy stands and announces, We are first and foremost people. Though Harry Hay is explaining that the oppression they've suffered has created a unique perspective of the world that other people can't have. Their existence isn't driven to structure their lives in the ways that heterosexuals push as the way quote-unquote normal people should live. But it seems that over the various ideologies of the Mattachinos who agree and disagree on various topics, each person at the convention could look at the homosexual on either side of them and see someone who disagrees completely on their moral values. Perhaps we do only have one thing in common. As the convention goes on, another member named Harriet Stanley watches as each member of the Bay Area group is taken off into a corner for consultation. She sees leaders against Harry Hay, trying to convince members to essentially change teams. Jerry Brissett will write, They offered us lodging and even proposed delights of the bed to win us over. Jim Kepner sees alliances forming too. It soon became obvious to me that the villains we were to protect ourselves from were actually closer to my own way of thinking. The convention continues with Chuck leading the conversation. Everyone remains stubborn in their opinions. A member of the Foundation's Administrative Council resigns from the Mattachine amidst fighting. Hal is certain to get friendly with Ken Burns and the Laguna Group, who might be conservative allies for him as they all risk trouble associating with former communists. The alliances are becoming clear. The final speaker before dinner is the Reverend Wallace de Ortega Maxi. He warns against perfectionism, explaining, This is particularly brought into discussion when the member of the minority has a perverted sense of what is religious. Their reaction generally is to set up such a high moral and ethical standard for themselves in order to be received back into the accepted social order. They have to live even far more abnormal lives than that which society says they are already living. In other words, the reverend means, don't try so hard to be accepted that you aren't living your authentic life. Chuck Rowland presents the Foundation's Constitution, which explains anonymous leadership in each city. Those leaders would go to a state committee for guidance. The state committee would be governed by the Foundation at the annual convention. Classic communist clandestine cell system, used to keep members safe. Ken Burns and his group stand up. He holds up a document of his own. The San Francisco group had already prepared an alternative constitution in contest to Chuck Rowland's. Their constitution for the Mattachine has a more corporate structure, complete with one board of publicly known officers running the whole society, and local chapters will ask the board for charters and elect their own officers. Two hours after the dinner break, the discussion carries on. Ken Burns delegates various pieces of the two constitutions to committees to examine until tomorrow, and they adjourn for the evening. The members leave the church for the night, likely meeting with fellow members who agree with their own opinions and solidifying their arguments for tomorrow. 
These discussions are too important to put to bed because Mattachine has yet to peak. What they decide tomorrow will affect the future of the Mattachine and the future of the movement. The organization actually will have over 300 members paying dues in local chapters in major cities that will print newsletters and hold discussion groups, lectures, and events. Mattachine will publish a quarterly national magazine that can be purchased at city newsstands. It'll host an annual Labor Day national conference and appear in national newspapers, magazines, radio, and TV programs. But what ideals will they push? How will they unite or divide the queer community? Their human rights will be at risk if they descend into what one Mattachino will refer to as bitchery and butchery. But let's put a pin in all that until the coming episodes. Four p.m. Sunday, the convention reconvenes. Everyone takes their seats. Ken Burns remains chair of the convention. Committees present conflicting ideas. Of course, a new name to replace Mattachine is discussed. There's a preamble committee who can't decide on a new name for the society. Some ideas are Dorian, Olympian, or Promethean. Then the state organization committee likes the idea of one board, but suggests three conferences to meet down the California coast. There's even a committee on committees, which likes the pro-foundation plan. Yeah, it's getting out of hand. 8 p.m. The preamble committee presents their final report, recommending Dorian Fellowship as the society's new name. In the actual preamble, though, they disagree with Harry Hay and Chuck Rowland's language, which says, We, the members of the Dorian Fellowship, in full awareness of our social obligations, hold it necessary that a highly ethical homosexual culture be integrated into society. The trouble is that word culture and what that implies. Yet again, the schism deepens. Jerry Brissett will report that some assimilationists wondered if there was a homosexual culture, and if so, whether it was to be maintained or whether it was to be integrated into society. Delegates vote the preamble down to a few lines and reject the Dorian name. Unable to choose a new name other than Mattachine, the issue is tabled, including the rest of the preamble and its line about an ethical homosexual culture. Chuck believes that the name Mattachine and the associated ideas have caught on, and Jerry compares the Mattachine name to the good housekeeping seal of approval. They do settle on a twice-yearly convention and vote on various meeting strategies with the various councils. Jim Kepner can tell that many of them haven't been in an organization of debates like this before. Some are shy or easily swayed. He says, Few knew parliamentary procedure, which some use with infuriating skill. 10 p.m. Everyone is exhausted. An interim committee is chosen to finish the Constitution and call another convention in six weeks. The entire goal of this gathering was for the Foundation to adopt a Constitution, reorganize the system, and move forward. Without the completed Constitution, it's still impossible to decide whether or not the Mattachine will remain anonymous or go public. So the Mattachine cannot move forward. The red baiting continues. Some people want to attend discussion groups, but refuse to go until the FBI investigates the whole Mattachine. The Foundation needs to nip this in the bud, or it may destroy the movement. 
On the other hand, Jerry Brissett's East Bay Area group up north is flourishing over the course of just two months, and he needs help managing it. His closest help in the Bay Area, though, is Hal and David in San Francisco, whom he saw as real evil minority at the convention. He writes, When I get this way, I turn upon the homosexual minority and hate them for their cheapness, their tinsel glamour, and their basic inadequacy to love freely, passionately, and honestly. For I feel they have debased what I firmly believe to be a beautiful, sacred relationship with all of their shallow traffic and sensation-seeking and ego-aggrandizement. Jim Kepner saw the convention in a more positive light, despite disagreements between the conservatives and the founders. To him, it felt like a start, however rough. Organizational details slow the process, but it feels like the beginning of a viable homophile movement. It makes them more determined than ever. Between that first convention and the upcoming one, other Bay Area leaders rise up, including more women and straight men. Ida Bracey and her husband Paul lead Oakland. Harriet Stanley, a mother of six, also takes on leadership alongside poets Jack Spicer and Rod McEwen, and psychologist Bob Maxey, among others. Jerry Brissett is the council's chairman, and despite disagreeing on whether or not to support the foundation, he tries to work with the other side of the Bay while holding on to alliances in LA. Hal Call and Jack Spicer are secretaries for the San Francisco group, and Hal's cruising buddy, David Finn, manages to nab a seat as treasurer of the area council, where he puts his own plan into motion. People who had disagreed with the foundation had an opportunity to finally meet at that convention, and now they're able to band together. Marilyn Boopsy Rieger and Ken Burns in LA met and vetted others at the convention, finding their connection in San Francisco. Hal Call. This conservative group feels that pointing out their homosexuality would make society more hostile, and the only way to be safe is to integrate its people into society whose homosexuality is irrelevant to our ideals, our principles, our hopes, and aspirations. Historian John D'Amelio, who wrote a huge portion of the inspiration for this podcast, he argues against the flawed stance of the conservative group. Working against their assimilation position are laws, government policy, religion, medical opinion, and popular prejudice. But he explains, at this time, when homosexuals truly feel like the other of society, when Marilyn got up at the convention and said, we are first and foremost people, she was affirming their humanity. The side that wants to assimilate to society just doesn't want to be separated even more. And how will future queer generations see the world? Will they be separated by cultural lines? Or welcomed out of the closet and into society? Will they celebrate their queer perspective? Or will their queer behavior be conditioned out of them in order to be considered normal? Perhaps both. Perhaps legal marriage will bring heteronormative expectations to all homosexual people. Perhaps gender roles will then be expected of them. Maybe assimilating limits the possibilities of queer culture, limits relationships, limits identity. Maybe we should defy the precedent established by cisgender heterosexuals who drew the rules up before they knew we existed. Because however accepting of us they might one day be, our own rules are just as ethical. But under the particular circumstances, perhaps Harry Hayes' idea of a highly ethical homosexual culture won't stand up. Not in court. Not when the government is using homosexuals as a scapegoat for communism. It's easier to accept society's norms on gay life than to bust out of the closet as militantly, self-lovingly queer. And other differences deepen. 
Some members of the Bay Area groups are upset with the financial aspects of membership contributions, particularly when Jerry Brissett suggests sending the money to the foundation in LA. They even continue to fight over the Mattachine's name. And David Finn and other conservatives refuse to discuss Mattachine blackballing known gay bars for racial discrimination, but they insist on an anti-communist stance. David Finn's behavior pisses off some of the liberal members of the East Bay, and they begin to dig up dirt on him. They don't have to dig very deep. The Foundation and Jerry Brissett quickly discover that David Finn is close with the Attorney General Edmund Brown, who's on track to become governor. They go to Finn, confront him, and Chuck Rowland writes in one magazine that David Finn admitted that he had been closely associated with the FBI for many years and would consider it his duty to report the activities of the convention if they did not reaffirm the principles of the Mattachine. David Finn has them cornered. He announces that he's reporting everything that's happening during these meetings to the state attorney general's office. Jerry and, even more so, the very liberal members are ready to take down David Finn as, once again, paranoia spreads throughout the Mattachine. As the second convention grows closer, Finn insists on attending, which many people fight. Jack Spicer boldly labels him a crypto-fascist and suggests immediately removing him from the society and exposing him as an FBI agent. Ken Burns writes to Jerry. I believe it was Dr. Kinsey who made the statement that the homosexual could never be successfully organized. At times, I have wondered if he was not right. Harry Hayes' convention speech, which didn't clearly strike down communist influence in the Mattachine, is soon published anonymously in Dale's newest issue of One magazine. His speech is titled, Are You Now or Have You Ever Been a Homosexual? playing on the question Huack asks of suspected communists. Are you now or have you ever been a communist? The article is passed through its usual rounds and Mattachine discussion groups. In a San Diego group, an FBI informant picks up the issue and sends it to the special agent in charge. He reads over the article, which describes the FBI's supposed tactics of digging up the sexual history of airline employees and presenting the evidence with the employees' signed loyalty oaths in order to fire them. The special agent in charge thinks the anonymous writer which of course is Harry Hay, is at least pro-communist. And because the magazine was found at a Mattachine meeting, the FBI again assumes that one magazine is published by Mattachine. And most importantly, in that speech, Harry Hay doesn't deny communist influence over Mattachine. The next month, an informant simply listed in the FBI records as female informant reports to Director Hoover. Two members of the military attended a Mattachine meeting. Mattachine members believe the FBI will eventually investigate them. She gives the Bureau a list of Mattachine members in the San Francisco branch, along with a copy of the Mattachine's much-discussed constitution and a schedule of meetings and activities. Hoover quickly contacts the Coast Guard and Marine Corps, the director and his FBI are closing in on the Mattachine as it begins to crack from within. Because as Hal Call's close friend, David Finn, threatens the leaders of the Mattachine and demands for this minority to reject its culture, publicly name its leaders, or face FBI infiltration, one might wonder if he is now, or ever has been, a homosexual.
Jerry in San Francisco writes to Chuck in Los Angeles. Many of my friends have remarked to me about a change which has come over me since I have started working for the machine. I feel so weak and overwhelmed by it all. I wish I could have you with me right now to help me. If I am given a task to perform on this earth, I will try with everything I've got to fulfill it. But my desires, my deepest yearnings might very well go on unanswered during the whole course of my life. And this is what torments me. I hate being alone as a homosexual. Stay tuned for a preview of next week's episode. Mattachine was created and hosted by me, Devlin Camp. Go ahead and share the show with your friends and family. And remember, they don't have to be queer to enjoy a good Cold War story. Our website, mattachinepod.com, has sources and bonus material. You can contact me there, too. Also, please take a second to rate and review the show on iTunes. It's a huge help to spread the word about the show. After that, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mattachine Files. That's a great way to put faces to the many names on this program. Many rambling thoughts were trimmed into eloquent sentences by our editorial advisor, Paul DeCicio. Special thanks to Albert Williams, the Queen of Chicago. Voice actors for this episode were Faye Camp as the FBI informant, Dominic Caruso as Hal Call, Nathan Cooper as Chuck Rowland, Paul DeCicio as Jerry Brissett, Sal Gatto as Reverend Wallace de Ortega Maxi, Brian Huff as Ken Burns, Gage Kyle as Jim Kepner, John Roth as David Finn, Courtney Tesh as Marilyn Boopsy Rieger, and Steve Camp as Harry Hay. The original Mattachine Society Jester logo and audio clips of Harry Hay are courtesy of One Archives at the USC Libraries. Audio clips from The Rejected, the first American documentary on homosexuality, are licensed by 13 Productions and WNET. The music for this episode were the songs Babylon, Decisions, Ghost Processional, Lasting Hope, Zombie Hoodoo, Leopard Print Elevator, Martian Cowboy, Disco Lounge, and The Complex, all by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. We have a lot of permissions and licenses for this program, and most of them had to be paid for. If you'd like to join other listeners contributing to the production of this show, you can check out our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash files and contribute as little as a dollar per episode. Donors get private perks like tons of photos through the research process and PDF transcripts of episodes. The money goes toward licenses needed for future episodes. If you're a school teacher, contact me on mattachinepod.com to get transcripts of every episode free of charge. Your students might like a good Cold War government corruption story. Thanks for listening. Here's what's coming next week. Next week on Mattachine. And the Société Mattachine were a group of masked men. No one ever knew who they were. We don't know anything about their names. We only know that they've always appeared masked. For an organization to exist in secrecy is to invite its persecution. Mattachinos took sides, culturalist or assimilationist. We are a special group, whether we like it or not. Our homosexuals themselves satisfied with the way they are. All we have to do is dress up and look the same as everybody else and have a nice, respectful, homosexual image. And whereas we are resolved that these people shall find equality. Mr. Chairman, I demand the expulsion of the delegate. Outrageous! Hal Call spent six weeks preparing for the second convention of the Mattachine with his close friend, David Finn, the member threatening to contact the FBI. And I've been in the papers as a Marxist teacher, one of the people who really ought to be called in to be examined in the trial. He is unhappy, neurotic, torn by conflict, 
inhibited in his social life. If we would put ourselves to begin to recognize the difference between our own gay consciousness and the straight world that we've had to endure for so long. Everybody said that gays would not fight back. 